Begin in Matthew 26. Um, I'll read that portion of Scripture out of the Passion Translation. <clears throat> um, we're going to continue on this journey that we've been on. But in Matthew 26, a very familiar passage to us. As we continue to go deeper in our worship and our understanding of worship, our understanding of who we are, who He is, where we are now in this new covenant of life. Um, and so we're going to pick up in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 6, begins this way. Then Jesus went to Bethany to the home of Simon, a man Jesus had healed of leprosy. A woman came into the house holding an alabaster flask filled with expensive fragrant oil. She came right to Jesus and in a lavish gesture, a lavish gesture of devotion, she poured out the costly oil and it cascaded over his head as he was at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were offended. What a total waste, they grumbled. What we could have sold it for a great deal of money and given it to the poor. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Why are you critical of this woman? She has done a beautiful act of kindness. You will always have some, someone poor whom you can help, but you will not always have me. When she poured the fragrant oil over me, she was preparing my body for burial. I promise you that when this wonderful gospel spreads all over the world, the story of her lavish devotion to me will also be mentioned in memory of her. What does this passage say about God? And Psalms 117 verse 1. All right. So, <clears throat> let's recap and let's think about the last couple of weeks. One of the things we looked at, we looked at Acts chapter 15, right? And there's James, some called Jacob. There he is, and he proclaims. They're having this big council. What are we going to do with all of these people coming in to know Jesus, right? Coming into the way, these Gentiles who are of the way. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to get them to do all the Jewish things that we did. What we got to do? So they're having this big council meeting. And since they're coming into knowing him, and obviously it is very obvious that they are hosting the presence of God because they're not just naming somebody and saying, hey, now we're going to worship him. But there is evidence of a complete baptism of Holy Spirit where he has come upon them and signs and wonders are even happening through these Gentile people. And they're like, what's up with this? And James stands up and proclaims Amos chapter 9 that says the prophecy that was spoken in Amos chapter 9 is what's happening right before us. So we looked at, what was the prophecy in Amos chapter 9? The prophecy in Amos chapter 9 says, in the tabernacle of David, y'all make room if y'all don't mind for our guests walking in. Alright, so in Amos 9 it says, in the rebuilding of David's tabernacle, okay, it's going to happen, right? But you look around in Acts chapter 15, there is no temple, so it's like, what are they talking about, right? It is where the presence of God comes to reside in his people, okay? You are hosting that new presence. And that's what we looked at. So last week, fast forward from the week before that, 
Last week, we continued to look at that same passage, dissecting and really looking at David's tabernacle versus Moses' tabernacle at the same time when David ushers in that presence. And remember, as he's bringing it in, Yuzah comes over and he tries to steady the thing and he dies and David's like, hold up before we go any further. And David comes to the place of the threshing floor where all things must come, right? All the works of God must come to the threshing floor where it is burned out with fire. And he comes to that place and he looks through the scrolls and he finds out, oh, this can't do this. We're trying to follow what the Philistine put in place by putting this thing on a wooden cart. The priests are to carry it, right? It was meant that you all are able to put it on your shoulder, the glory of God, and carry presence, okay? So that's where we kind of looked at, and then we compared that. At the same time, Moses' tabernacle is just steadily going, right? It's going, it's going, it's going. They're going through their duties. They're sacrificing the blood animals. They're going through all their rituals, and they're not even bothered that the presence of God is not even there. <laughs> all the while going through the motions and going through all what they normally do. And not bothered that the presence is not there. And so what we came to find out is that presence now resides in us. Okay, So we're going to pick up today and we're going to look through that. I last week didn't spend a lot of time going through each passage because we'd have been here for a couple of days. And so I just kind of summarized it for you. But we're going to pick up in that passage because there's some details that I want us to flesh out in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You will notice as Dustin begins to read this, you'll notice some of those things we talked about last week and summarized, but now in more detail. So picture yourself in this passage. You can kind of picture where you were last week. And then we're picking up in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people to, who were with him from, uh, from Judah, from Judah to, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Aho, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Aho went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hand onto the ark and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place is called Peruzah. And to this day, and David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obanedom, to the Gittite. That the ark of the Lord was remained in the house of the Obanedom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obanedom, Obed-Edom with all his, all his household. You see what he did to me here with all these words? <laughs> doing good. You're doing good. And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all the belongings to him because of the ark of God. So David went out and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. 
And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one of them. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How can the king of Israel honor himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of the servants, of his female servants? As one, of, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more con contemptible than this. And I will be abashed in your eyes. But your female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Hmm. There's a lot of significance for us as a body of Christ in this passage, and, and that's where we're going to go. Um, and I'll point out a couple of things as we uh, begin to set this up for you. <clears throat> So here's David, pictured all that. This is like we talked about last week. He's going through there. They get finally get things right, the way you're supposed to carry it right. They walk just a little piece, and they make that one time, once for all sacrifice, just like we talked about last week. Remember, Moses' place, they're still sacrificed, still sacrificed. And they do a one-time sacrifice, and for 40 years, night and day, 24-7, there's worship. Okay? Not just the priest worshiping, but invited everybody to come and partake of this worship. Okay? So that's what's being set up. But David, whenever they coming in and he's finally consecrated himself, he's got all that like it's supposed to be now. And they're coming in. It says he is dancing. And not only king's robes meant dignity, and he takes off the dignity of that robe and of the kingly stance, and he takes it off and some translations say he danced naked. It basically he was because he goes down to his priestly garment, right? The, the uh, linen, of uh, the ephod there, okay? So what that means is it is basically like in your undies, okay? And this is why. Because the priest could not go into the Holy of Holies and sweat. Because that represented work. Okay? The priest could not go into the Holy of Holies and sweat or that equaled work, which meant, boom, gone. It had to come from a place of rest. So that's why it's down to his underoos, okay? So his tidy whitey, so to speak, in our day and time. But it's his priestly garment, okay? <clears throat> which is shameful, right, to be out in public that way, especially if you the what? The king. <laughs> you the king, and you doing that in front of everybody. Now... 
Let's look at somebody else in that story that he just read. Who else was in that story that made some, some proclamations in that story? His wife, Michael, right? Who was the daughter of Saul, who was the first king, right? And then David is coming next, right? Now, back in the day, she looks upon David and she's like, oh man, he's looking good on me, right? And Saul... It doesn't come to the point where he don't like David anymore. And he says, if you want her, you can pay for her. You can buy her. And so he's thinking, I'm just going to get rid of David. I'll kill two birds at one stone, so to speak. That way, I ain't got to worry about my wife marrying that no-count sucker. But I also ain't got to worry about him becoming king and taking my place either. So if you want her bad enough, you bring me the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. We ain't going in detail what foreskin is, but I think most of you adults in here know what that is. So he's like, he comes back, he comes back to Saul, not with 100, but with 200. It says he comes and shows up with a warm sack of 200. Now, not in the Bible, but most... Just for your information, I thought it was pretty cool in reading and study. Tradition kept it, not in the Bible, just tradition, kept it that. Why would, why would the Bible say warm? Because David's so gung-ho, he didn't kill him first. <laughs> he took it. Right? That dude's a bad mama jamma. Okay? All right? But you've got to look past all of that and look at how this represents Christ in the church. Michael is the daughter of a king. And now she is the wife of the king. Purchased by blood. Not just what was required, but more than what was required. And she was brought into relationship and intimacy with the king. Okay? And now all of a sudden, as David becomes before the Lord and is dancing and throws his dignity to the, to the side, and he is dancing naked... What does she do? Looking through the window, notice she was not participating in the march. Uh, she is looking from the sidelines. How often does the church do that? When Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit, in intimacy with one another, in the great circle dance, has invited us into the great circle dance with them. To join in an intimacy with them. And how often do we watch other people who have found out the intimacy of him, but yet we still sit on the sidelines and watching it. And whenever they, in that intimate circle, do something that's out of the ordinary for us, we begin to do what? Point the fingers. Now notice what David did. Did David back down because of her lack of respect for worship? No. No. In fact, he told her, woman, <laughs> I've become even more undignified than this. You ain't, basically, he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> if that bothered you, you ain't seen nothing yet. So her lack of value, her lack of presence, what did it say at the end was the result of that? Barren. She had no children until when? Until the day she died. Barrenness is the natural result 
of the lack of work. Barrenness is the natural result of the lack of worship. Why? Where was David? In the intimate place. And she was invited into the intimate place with him. And yet, instead of joining in, she turned and ridiculed, spoke against the intimate place where conception is found. Right? It doesn't say this, but most people believe she was barren because David never was intimate with her again after that day. Because she refused intimacy with the real king. So it doesn't say necessarily that God shut it up, right? It just says she was barren from then on. She denied intimacy where those conceptions are made, what we just said. All right, Isaiah 54, 1. I want you to notice this because now this has to do with you, okay? If he represents Jesus, David does in this passage for us, and she is representing the bride, Christ, that's us, right? Where are we at, okay? Because real, we can have some Ishmael's. Remember Abraham didn't want to wait on God. Burst some Ishmael's, and that's still causing us some pain today, right? Or we can meet God in the intimate place and birth out what he wants us to birth out. Isaiah 54, 1 through 6, read that one. Rejoice with singing, you bear me. You, have never, you who have never given birth, burst into a song of joy and shout. You, uh, you who have never been in labor, for the deserted wife will have more children than those married ones, says Yahweh. Increase is coming, so enlarge the tent and add extensions to your dwelling. Hold nothing back. Make the tent ropes longer and the pegs stronger. You will increase and spread out in every direction. Your sons and daughters will conquer nations and revitalize desolate cities. Do not fear for your shame no more. Do not be embarrassed for you will not be disturbed. You will forget the inadequacy you felt in, felt in your youth. and will no longer remember the shame of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. His name is Yahweh, commander of the angel armies. Your kinsman and redeemer is the holy, holy one of Israel. He has the title mighty God of all of earth. For I, Yahweh, have invited you to come back like a breast of his wife. Like a young wife who has experienced rejection, I am drawing you back to me. Mm. He is drawing us back. But notice how he begins that whole passage. He says, Shout for joy, O you barren one. Did he say, O you pregnant one, shout for joy? No. Because he knows and understands that despite your circumstance, when you are barren, you must worship first and then the pregnancy comes. You do not wait to be for the conception to take place before you begin to worship and begin to go into a place of presence with him. You go to the presence first and then the conception happens. You see what I'm saying? So that's where we got to be despite circumstances out here that are going on on our outliers. But even in our own personal life, we can't wait for the promise to come, right? We're all waiting on, got to have the promise, got to have the promise. 
and we're walking around depressed and we're like, oh, I just wish this would happen. Oh, I wish this would happen. Right? You see the church body doing it all the time, right? But that's not what he said do. He says, oh, shout for joy, you barren one. It must come. And then he says, and then I'm coming to establish this stuff. Right? It is that you get the picture in your mind what he is about to do. And I'm excited about what he's about to do. Not because I see it, Abraham. Not because I see what's about to take place, Mary. But because your word says it, I'm going to believe it. And when that takes place, conception happens in the secret place. Right? They would mark them in the secret place in the Old Testament. When I say mark them, that's whenever the foreskin would come up. Right? On the seventh day, taken in into the secret place. And that's where they were marked. Where are you marked? In the secret place. And the conception begins to take place where you birth new life. Now, Bill Johnson said it this way, the people of worship, regardless of circumstance, will become fruitful in ways beyond reason. Regardless of your circumstance, you will be fruitful. You will be people who are of fruit, who are producing great things, even in times of crisis, right? People keep talking about what's going to happen in America. What's going to happen in America? I don't know what's going to happen in America, but I know what's going to happen in me and my house. We're going to be fruitful and multiply. You know why? Because we are rejoicing in Him. We are not rejoicing in a government that is established by man. We are rejoicing in a government that He established in Isaiah that says, In my government there will be no end. And so in that place, I'm going to be able to be established and I'm going to be able to take root and that when the storms of this life come, we're still standing. A thousand may fall at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. Right? Because I am dwelling, he starts that whole thing off, in the shadow of the Almighty. In the shelter of his, what? Wings. Can you picture that? We talked about that. That cherubim, that wings, when they set up the Ark of the Covenant, those wings come over that Ark, meaning that's where His presence is residing, in between those places and there. Can't you picture the psalmist just leaning up against that Ark, knowing that the presence is there, and He is in the shadow of the Almighty under those wings. That's where you live. That's where you reside today. You're no longer in the tabernacle of Moses. It's gone. The presence is not there. Where is it at? The veil has been ripped and he is accessible to all people to come into you and dwell and stay there. In the shadow of the Almighty is where you get to walk every day. Where presence resides, you will flourish because it can only bring life and not death. That's the only thing it can do. Isaiah 66, 1. This is what Yahweh says. The heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where is the place where I will rest? Okay, so God is beginning to rebuke them because they're still wanting to get in their mind the old tabernacle. We got to rebuild it. He's like, I don't want you to rebuild this. It was never about me living in a house. Where is he wanting to reside? In you, in us. Okay? 
And that's what he's, the rebuke is coming. But notice what he says. Start with verse 6 and go all the way to 24. I know that's a large passage. But I want you to pay attention to what she's saying. This is your what you are accessible to today. chapter off by saying this. Why are you trying to rebuild that structure? Quit that. I'm coming to reside in my people. Okay? Then he goes on to say, in, in, in verse 9, this is what he says, Do I allow you to conceive and not give birth? Now think about Michael. 
How did she not conceive? She refused intimacy, right? But how do we conceive? In the secret place, in the intimate encounter with him, trusting and believing his word. When you believe the word, which is called the sperma, it's a seed and it enters in and you believe, okay? Now, what did he say? If that's true, that's how that happens. He's, his words are spirit and life. That word goes in, and all of a sudden it comes to conception. All right. Now, when it comes to conception, he says, do I allow you to conceive and not give birth? What does that say? Once you conceive and you believe, you believe the word that was spoken to you. It could have been, a, it could have been the word here, or it could have been a freshly spoken word that was given to you by a prophet. Okay? It could be given a freshly spoken word, the rhema word. But what happens is when you believe that word, conception takes place. And what did he say? Will I allow you to conceive and not give birth? What is he saying? I will make sure that it comes to pass. I'm going to make sure. The life is not you. The life is in the seed, which is in Jesus. He is the seed, he is the word, and he is going to make sure that it comes to pass. In fact, in this passage, it goes on to say that I'm going to make sure that it happens even without the contractions and without the, without the pain. Isn't that what he said? And then he says, when that takes place, I am going to cause all the nations to come to me. How are they coming to him? Where is he residing? In the people. So what's happening with the people? They have finally gotten it between here and here to understand that they are hosting the presence of God. They are bringing the glory of God on this earth as the waters cover the sea. Until the kingdoms of our God become the, I mean, until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And as they are spreading that glory all over the earth, nations, every people group, is coming to know him. The evidence we see in Acts 15 that we looked at a few weeks ago, the evidence of what we should be seeing in our own community. You take that conception, you take that word, and conceive so that you give birth. Why are we giving birth? Why are we bringing life wherever we go? So that what? The nations are what? Drawn to you. So you want to know, are you spending in that? It all starts in the intimate place. It is not starting because we got the right band. We got the right speaker. We got the right place to meet. It's on the right road. All this kind of stuff. It's out on the highway where everybody can see it so they can all finally drive. No, it is everybody coming into the presence. And in that secret place, conceiving. The secret place. And whenever you are conceiving and being marked in the secret place, life comes bursting forth. Life comes out of you, which now all of a sudden affects everything around you in your circle, at your home, at your workplace, everywhere you're going. So it's not just about our Sunday service anymore. It's about bringing revival and a great awakening wherever you're walking because you're carrying the presence. And the nations are being drawn, not to a specific building, but to his presence. So why, how... How much is God committed to this? Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2, verse 2 through 5. 
In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. It will teach us His ways, so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations, and will sell disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. All right, now read Micah 4, 1 through 8. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will spring to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Both of these passages, one's Isaiah the prophet, one is Micah the prophet. They are almost identical in their wording. Almost identical. Okay? And what he's saying in that passage is this. The mountain is where? It's called what? We looked at it about three or four weeks ago. Which mountain? Mountain what? Zion. Right? That's where everybody's coming to, Mount Zion. Now, fast forward, Hebrews chapter 12 says, we've already come to Mount Zion. Who has? The people of God. And it says they will, and then he says, whenever that is established, I will draw all, what, nations to where? That temple on Mount Zion. We looked at it before. We watched even a video to give you a clear picture. What does that temple look like? Is it wood? Gold? It's his people. When we finally realize we already live on Mount Zion, let me say it one more time. When, when we find, look, I should not be moved about all that mess that comes on TV or on Facebook and everything else. Yeah. It's like a movie. Treat it like a movie, a fiction movie. Yeah. Okay. That is not my reality. That is not where I reside. And that is not where my allegiance lies. I have to get in here. First, it's got to come in here and then it's going to override my thinking. I have to understand this is not it. My eternal, I have to look at by faith, is the evidence of things hoped for, not what I see. So therefore, 
I have to see where I'm established. Ephesians says, I'm already there. I'm already in the heavenlies where everything is mine. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. Me and Jesus are one. Okay, we're one. He's in me and I am in him. And so there's no distinction. We're one. So that means everything that Jesus has and done, accomplished, is in me. And that's where I am. Where? On Mount Zion with the rest of the people who finally realize they own Mount Zion too. And we, one stone at a time, First Peter says, one stone at a time are coming together. So as I finally realize that, where am I when I'm at work or wherever I'm at, that next stone is being drawn and I'm able to lay a foundation of where Jesus is and then he's able to accept that foundation and then he is the next stone going into that temple. And they're being drawn one by one. When I realize I'm already on Mount Zion, I'll start living like I'm on Mount Zion. But as long as I'm thinking I'm living in this chaos and that that is my reality, I will continue not to draw other people into the Mount Zion realm. I will continue to draw them in the chaos realm. But it has to come from me in my daily walk getting in the secret place where God marches. Where the conception takes place. Or else I keep aborting babies. Or creating babies. Creating babies that are not of his kind. The Ishmael's. Where does it start? Starts in the secret place. How much does he want to draw the nations near? Psalms 22, 27. From the what corners of the earth? Mm. On all people to come, right? 67 verse 4. Then how glad the nations will be when you are the are their king. They will sing, they will shout, for you give true justice to the people. Yes, you are, are the shepherd of the nations. Mm. <coughs> of the what? Nations. The nations. All ethnic, all people groups. 72 verse 17. What? Where from? Where they come from? All. All. Okay. 86 9. Wait till they do what? They put your glory. They put your glory on display. Romans 3.23. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. 
We all fell short. But guess what he did? He gave you his own glory. As he is now, so are you in this world. Okay? Last one. Psalm 117.1. Let everyone everywhere shine with praise to Yahweh. Let it all out. Go ahead and praise him. Mm. Let it out. Let it all out. Isn't that what David did? He let it all out. And what happened? Not just the priests. Everyone was able to come. Not only were they able to come and 24-7 worship intimate experience, not only were they able to do that, it says that they had no consciousness of sin. That's what we have today. Because of the blood of Christ and because of what He's done for us, we should have no consciousness of sin. He has wiped it clean and we are able to go to Him with a clear conscience, Paul says, and be intimate with Him. Into face-to-face encounter with Him. That's what's been available to us. So the original purpose, the original purpose as worshipers, you think about this, those priests, those priests put... That glory, where? On that shoulder. Now everywhere I go, normally it's wherever she wants to go, she takes me. But when I put her up here, when I put her up here, displaying her wherever I go, right? I displayed. Am I displayed? What was the original purpose? The glory to be put on the shoulders of the Levitical priest and carry the presence. So wherever they carried it and wherever they rested with it at Tabernacle of David, that's where the glory resided. (laughs) So the original purpose for the worshipers was to carry the glory wherever they went so that wherever they went, life exploded. Can you imagine the crowds hearing the noise? said all those instruments that he read a while ago. And it says as they got closer, it got louder and louder, and it got crazier and crazier and wild and wilder and wilder. Right? They was some mobile. Okay? They were so they were just it almost sounded like chaos, right? See what I mean? Everywhere that presence go bring life. Everywhere. The presence go brings life. Okay? And it's fruitful and multiplies. That is the kingdom that we bring. John 10, 10. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Jesus said, I came that you may have life. Have it to the what? Full. Doesn't that sound just like what we were supposed to do from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 whenever he says be fruitful and multiply? What were they supposed to be fruitful and multiply? Multiply his presence. I created you in my image. I've given you image bearers. Glory bears to go out and spread my glory as far as the earth. But then we screwed it up, right? But now we have been given a chance. Jesus been birthed in us as he is, so are we, to carry his glory, his presence everywhere we go. So that when we do that, that the glory will be spread all over the earth. That is what we are doing. Habakkuk says that, that that's what's going to be the end game. Until the glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. How do waters cover sea? They are one and the same. Waters are the sea. The sea is the water. Meaning you cannot tell the difference. And neither should they be able to tell the difference between us and presence. Us and Christ in that presence should be able to go as one. 
That's why Brent was telling the other day whenever that guy came in his office. And he walked out completely changed because he walked in not Brent's office, he walked into the presence. And he walked out changed. That's the way it should be. That's the way we carry him everywhere we go. That was the original purpose. So close your eyes. Emphatically, I want you to see yourself walking away from a temple or a building. I know that may sound odd to you. But when you're coming up out of that building, that temple that you're walking out of, everything in there had some order to it. It was nice. It was beautiful. This is not some rundown temple you're walking out of. There was order. And as soon as you step out, you hear a noise in the distance. And so you want to discover what that looks like, you begin to travel down the road to see where that noise is coming from. You begin to see it takes you up this little hill. Gotta walk through this brush, this underbrush. You get through the bushes, you peek through. And to you, it looks like chaos. There's people dancing. There's people singing. There's people running. There's people shouting. There's people laughing in the streets. They are laughing so hard. You would think somebody brought the, the juice. You would have thought somebody intoxicated them with alcohol. They are intoxicated, but it's on something different. It's on presence. And you're on the sidelines, and you've got one choice to make. Do I stay here? Do I stay here observing Do I run with everything that's in me and join the party?